Our next guest is Emma Beverly. Emma is a producer and programmer of multiple art forms who has made and presented award-winning artworks in a range of different contexts, including the Royal Court Theatre and the British Council Showcase, in pubs, clubs, cafes and derelict storage units. In 2021, she will be joining Leeds 2023 as an executive producer, delivering a landmark year of culture for Leeds and the wider region. What Emma talks about here is her journey from starting out from university to meeting artists, and she really gives us an insight into her career and how it has built over the years. What she also touches on here, though, is her focus on ethics and values and care, which for me is an outlook on making work which I can't help but admire and want to learn from. I'm so happy to get Emma onto the podcast, and I'm really excited for you to hear this. So without further ado, let's open the chapter. This is the director's diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary, so if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. So welcome to the podcast, Emma. Um, I'm so excited to have you like to have this conversation. Um, I'm not going to introduce you. I'm going to leave that to you, but I'm going to give you an impossible task to begin with. So if you could set a two minute timer. Yeah. I want your life story in two minutes. So obviously this is an impossible task, but it'll be really interesting to see what you pick out from your journey so far. And then we can have a conversation about it. (laughs) Are you ready? Am I setting the timer? Are you? Um, yeah. I'll set a timer. I'll set a timer. Okay, good. Ready? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Off you go. Okay, so uh, my name is Emma Beverly. I'm recording this from Sunny Saltaire in Bradford. Um, I'm currently a co-director for East Street Arts based in Leeds and I'm the incoming executive producer for Leeds 2023, where I'll be starting that in January next year. Um, I suppose that like life story is massive, so I guess I'll just focus on professional stuff. Um, I went to university in Sheffield, um, and whilst I was there, I met this um, amazing friend called Selena Thompson. And when we graduated, Selena was like, "Hey, I'm going to be an artist," and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to try and be a producer." And for the first year, you know, I was living in Peterborough doing this unpaid internship in marketing where I had to like dress up as a goose for the pantomime and lay golden eggs down Peterborough High Street it was a nightmare and and Selena was in Leeds working in Lush and like we were just constantly messaging each other she told me that she'd got a show at Theatre in the Mill in Bradford and it was the piece that she'd done for her dissertation and I thought I'm gonna go up and see it Um, and when I was there we just had a great time blowing up balloons, filling them with whipped cream and glitter and coffee and watching all these people come to see her in Bradford. And I just thought, God, what what am I doing uh, in this theatre? I need to get out. So I took the plunge and I moved to Leeds. And when I got there, I was also offered a job with a producing house um, for four days a week where I was an intern and um, got to learn really basic stuff like how to write a funding application, how to book a tour. Um, But at the same time, Selena and I had started working together and we really learned a lot together. We We had no idea what we were doing and that was like the best thing ever. And after three months at this producing house, I just thought, 
okay, we've got our first arts council in the bag. Selena's quitting Lush. I'll quit this producing house and we'll just give it a go together. And since then I've worked with loads of different people, you know, in the first couple of years, like it's like Red Ladder and Ellie Harrison and Peter Reed and doing whatever I could grab hold of really, and just trying to learn about being a producer. And then met up with a really incredible woman called Dawn Walton in Edinburgh, when me and Selena were showing Chewing the Fat there. And I wrangled her in Summerhall Bar, like the outdoor courtyard and fought, like literally frog marched her over to the Northern um, stage venue to make her see Chewing the Fat. Um, Dawn was the artistic director of the Clips Theatre Company at the time. And after a conversation with her and after she'd seen the show, she asked me if I'd be interested in doing some work for Eclipse. And I worked with them for about five years and started off as like an associate producer and ended up becoming their executive producer. And that was a really transformative role for me. Um, they were an MPO and they had structure, which was new. Um, and I also got to learn about plays, which also was really new to me because I kind of cut my teeth in live art. So I got the access to this whole other like mainstream theatre scene that I hadn't been part of at all. Um, and Selena's career was really taking off and I was working with other really incredible artists too, um, like Katie Baird and Hannah Butterfield and um, doing rural touring of dance shows with Spilt Milk Dance. And then I just got really exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and thought, God, I'm like doing so much. I've learned how to do so much. And I don't really know what it is that I want to do anymore. Um, so I thought I'm going to take a little break. And uh, this was in 2018 after about five years, six years of working in this way. And about two months into that break, um, I was chatting to Karen, uh, Karen from East Street and uh, was explaining to her where my head was at and what I was trying to work out. And she was talking about how at East Street, they'd just been thinking about their future. They were 25 years old. Um, I actually had approached them because I wanted to become a trustee. And it was through the conversations about becoming a trustee and like what I can offer that Karen and John and Nicola from East Street then asked me if I'd think about coming on as a, as a co-director. In the first year, it was an associateship um, because we didn't know if we were going to get on and if it was going to work and all that kind of stuff. So we put associate on the front to make it less scary, I guess, for all of us. Um, and that again was like a massive step for me. I'd never been a director before. There's loads of crossovers, but I'd also never run, dealt with buildings before. Like there were visual arts, which I did a little bit of, but I didn't know that whole world. Um, and there was 20 people working in the organization who I was like responsible for their livelihoods. So along alongside like 1,200 artists. So it was an enormous step up. And uh, yeah, I've learned like an immense amount from working at East Street. They are such incredible people. Um, and it was also a really fun place to be because it was like the perfect transition between the independent sector that I'd been in for like, you know, seven years at this point and an artist led organization that was 25 years old and a charity. So it was like, it's an incredible company because it's got this like DIY punk ethos that really comes from like Karen and John as the founders. Um, and that spirit's like within the DNA of the organization. 
but it's, then it's kind of like wrangling it, wrangling alongside the fact that it's a charity and it employs loads of people and it uses public money and has got certain responsibilities. Um, so it's an incredible place to learn about directing. And then literally in the last week or so, um, I've decided to move on from there and, and go on a whole new adventure and go back to producing, which, um, it, it, you know, you, some could say, well, I wonder why you'd go from directing back to producing, but I think Leeds 2023 is just like this incredible opportunity for the city. And when, as soon as I saw the job description, I thought, God, I've got to be part of that somehow. <laughs> And this is where, it, and that's where I am now. So it all got announced two days ago. Um, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it and work out how, how this is going to happen and what the approach um, I need to take should be. So it's been like a really crazy, you know, less than a decade. Yeah, it's amazing. And okay, so let's unpick that a little bit. That's a massive trajectory to get our head around. Um, my first question is, how um how can you or can you ever forecast a career trajectory in the arts like that like did did you ever set out going i want to get there kind of arbitrary point in career or like how how did you think about planning for yourself um well i don't think it's any secret for anyone who's freelance that there are no clear pathways and there's no really clear progression signs actually it's not like you can get a promotion so um I think in the first five or six years in particular it was about just setting really manageable goals like the first goal was going to get an arts council application second goal was going to do a tour regional one then a national one international touring sounds good why don't we try and wrap our heads around that now or oh, would quite like to learn how to do this or that so it was like it was never like in 10 years time, I'm gonna be doing this. And I think that even if there had been part of that, it was that was much more personal than it was professional. So in 10 years time, I'd, I'd quite like to buy a house, you know, or like have some, some level of stability. I think some people do definitely set out saying, you know, five or 10 years, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be here, but I don't think it ever works out that way so for me in terms of just managing my own expectations I set really high standards for myself so if I was to try and set standards like you know projecting that far forward in the future I think I'd drive myself nuts that's so interesting it's a good answer <laughs> <laughs> I, I wondered whether you had set out going or was there any point where you were like when you were working with freelancers that you were like okay I'm gonna I need to work with a large organisation, but I guess those small, small goals help, don't you? Yeah, and also I think like, because I was coming at it from a live art point of view rather than a theatre point of view, mm. they, those kind of um, power dynamics, they're still there in live art. I'd be really naive to say that they're not, you know, but it's not the same. It's not like saying, oh, I'm gonna get a run at the national or um, I'm going to get a commission with the Birmingham rep. Like, it was never idolising specific venues. And yeah. so, more than anything else, it was money-orientated, to be totally honest. You know, especially with me and Sal, like, 
we were like, okay, so this year we paid ourselves this per day when you average it out across the year, which is woeful. So next year, we're going to try and pay ourselves this and try and build it up from there. And I think a massive moment for us was when we set up her company and we got a payroll system. And we suddenly were like, this is wild. Like, even though yeah. we have to find the money to pay us still, you know, that's not changed, but there's a paycheck each month and the tax is taken off straight away and that just gave this sense of stability that hadn't been there beforehand so the 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 milestones or the progression routes were much more about security than like um i mean don't get me wrong we were like wild ambitious like there's absolutely no doubt about it and working with selena like helped me be that ambitious because her ideas the world (laughs) yeah her ideas were big you know and they needed big spaces and resources to be done with any sense of um, real appreciation for what she was thinking about. I think when we started developing the approach to SALT, which was a theatre show that took us about three years in the end to make, um, and she was talking about retracing the transatlantic slave route on um, a cargo ship. And that was when we were like, okay, we're really starting to step this up now. We're talking about really ambitious and um, quite risky actually um, development processes that need strong partnerships. Um, And we were also talking about much larger funding applications that also with the comes an extra level of producing capacity needed actually in terms of setting up you know quite complex projects um but you've always got to be open to all the random stuff that's going to happen along the way actually and just take each moment of it as a really amazing learning opportunity even when it's quite painful because Mm -hmm. you know there are really painful moments aren't there (laughs) Um, yeah yeah let's dive into a bit of like work specifically with freelancers then um so how do you as a producer go about making work um or what is most important when when you are making work as a producer yeah loads of people disagree with me on this because I think part of the things of the role or the title of producer is that everybody's got a slightly different interpretation of what that means but the but my my personal approach to it is that effectively I kind of see myself as a facilitator and a caretaker so caretaker in the sense that I've got quite a large level of responsibility and I need to hold the space and I need to make sure that the people in it are safe and comfortable and that they've got access to all the things that they need to make the best possible piece of work or whatever that thing is that they're doing in there. And then facilitator is in, I need to be able to look at the ideas and the ambition for the projects and facilitate the, the, the methodology by which you can make them. So whether that's writing a budget is a really basic starting point and thinking about the process and what that process needs in order to make it happen. Partnership, potential collaborators, looking at other projects that maybe you can like take inspiration from and making sure that the way that the project is communicated is clear and honest as well. 
I think like stepping into the theatre world, that was when I was like, wow, it's no wonder it's hard to sell tickets because the way we talk about this stuff makes it really unclear what people are coming to. Um, and so I think that like some people may consider a producer as like effectively a really, really great organizer or administrator. And I think that you need that in you absolutely. And you need to get a kick out of all of the stuff that other people might find quite mundane actually. Um, but it is more than that, particularly when you're thinking about principles of care. And if you're working with artists who have needs, and um, if part of your responsibility is to look after people in that space, um, it needs to go a bit beyond that as well. I remember some of the fights I used to have with people was when they'd say, I don't need a producer because I don't need someone to like respond to my emails for me. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Wow. <laughs> you misunderstood a little bit what that, what that role can be, you know? Yeah. Um, if it's done, if it's done with care and consideration. So, would you say that? Do you? Is it important what type of work that artist is making for you? Uh, that's a good question. I think that I'm less interested. This is going to sound really weird because, like, you'd automatically associate a producer with a product, right? Mm, yeah. Um, because of the title, um, I think I'm less bothered about um is the i like i'm gonna work on that project because of the idea or the thing at the end and i'm more personally invested in the in the person i've always been i've always developed long-term relationships um and I tried to be a project producer I tried to dip in and out of different companies and artists um, but I always couldn't help myself when I was doing a project, asking questions and starting to think about how that project connected to the next one and the one after that and the one after that as well. Um, I think I learned that a lot from working with Selena because she creates bodies of work, you know, so all of the pieces are interconnected and actually it wouldn't have worked as well if my focus was purely on one idea. It has to be across the whole practice which um, helps actually when, when I then made the jump into working in a company, that, that really helps, <laughs> um, I think. That's really cool. This might be a, well, this is kind of a double-edged question, kind of two, two sides to this. So um, I, I, I want you to um, give advice to any listeners who are potentially young or emerging producers so what, what should they be doing kind of generally? Like what, what are good practices for young and emerging producers? And then the second half is kind of what should they be doing now uh, with a kind of COVID lockdown backdrop? So I, I don't know when, whether, where you want to start, maybe one to the other, I don't know. Yeah, I always find this really difficult, this idea of giving advice. I think mm. it's so loaded, you know, like I understand why it's important, but I think about some of the advice that I got. I mean, the first bit of advice I ever got was from a male producer in a very well-known theatre who effectively told me I didn't have what it took to be a producer just by having a 15-minute conversation with me. So I think I've got like quite a... Um, 
uh, I've got a level of awareness. So actually, to be honest with you, the first bit of advice I'd give is be really careful about what you listen to. <laughs> and don't assume that because that approach worked for that person, that it's going to work for you. We're all totally different from each other. And actually, one of the reasons why there's a big issue in terms of who can be a producer in the independent sector um, is because everybody's tried to follow the same route and path, um, which often means that you need a certain level of support or networks or resources behind you already. So I struggle with giving advice. I'm very happy always to listen to somebody who wants to be a producer and help them think about what they might need to put in place for themselves to make that happen. But the only thing that I'd say is don't put yourself at the center of it. I think like for me personally, um, I struggle with that notion of a producer is like the world that, and everything revolves around the producer. I think um, that it, it's, much, it's much more about being fluid and responsive and um, being able to kind of step into the really minute detail and then step out backwards and see a larger overview of what's going on and what the situation actually is. And also the only other thing I'd say as well is don't say that you know how to do something if you don't. Like it is absolutely fine for you not to know how to do everything. Even I don't know how to do everything. I still say I don't know at least three or four times a day. Even I mean, you, wow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because you never stop learning. Art is enormous. There's so many different practices and there's so many different ways of doing things that actually if you're making stuff that is ambitious or, or is relatively off the kind of mainstream um, art world, you're not gonna you're not gonna know how to do it. You're gonna be working it out as you go. And I think this idea of like a a miracle manager, you know, is like one of the biggest challenges that I've faced in building relationships with people as a producer because the expectations of me have been impossibly high. Um, and that's always been a really tricky negotiation point to start from. Yeah. Uh, and what should people be doing now, do you think? If oh, anything. Rest, rest, like find ways of just taking care of yourself. I've had a number of people ask me this question actually. And listen, if you get your joy from being really, really active and really busy and like learning about new things, or you've got and you've got access to the internet, effectively you could learn how to do whatever you wanted to right now. And um, there's a course for everything. There's a website for everything. So I think, you know, do that to your heart's content. For me personally, if I was independent right now and I just had lost an enormous amount of work, my primary concern would be the, the welfare and the care of the artists that I was working with and of myself. I think it's actually... Um, safe to say that that's been the biggest concern whilst I've been at East Street as well like the welfare of the staff mm. um, and how different everybody's responding to this time it's very hard to find um, like an equilibrium for that or a meeting point um, 
And it's so unpredictable, isn't it? You know, like they're saying this lockdown now is going to last a month, but they've extended furlough to the end of March. So I think it's very, very hard to plan right now. And actually, um, if you're in a position where you where you can rest, rest. Good advice. <laughs> um, some people might some people might look at your trajectory and go okay well you went to uni with Selena and it was kind of a little bit serendipitous that uh, it's quite fortunate that you were together and you both you both needed each other in a kind of way um, and the timing of that um, what if you don't have that so how how can you make inroads or connections in a let's say in a new city or in a or in or if um someone's transitioning into the arts and, and doesn't have any networks how how do you start making those connections with artists or companies oh we're so awfully cliquey aren't we this is the problem um it's really hard to answer that i'm trying to think about um Outside of my work with Selena, like what can I reflect on? I, you know, I did the classic. I did a, I did an unpaid internship followed by a very, very, very badly paid internship. So it, it and then and that lasted. That was effectively the first year of working. Um, and were you working another like part time job on the side to kind of cover yeah. the art? Yeah, when I was doing the unpaid internship in Peterborough, I was also working every single evening and every weekend in this awful pub. Um, and at the same time was also like, I took a show to Edinburgh with some people that I'd gone to uni with again. Um, I think that the, the, the way that I met people, to be honest, was by going to see stuff. Okay, that's interesting. And I went to a lot, like, in, especially when I moved to Leeds, I was at anything I could get to, every street arts event, every, like, any independent company or artist who was putting on something in Leeds, I would go. And what would you do there? You'd see the work and then... I'd see the work and after a while, like, you know, you meet one person. I mean, I have to say as well, actually, I did also reach out directly to a couple of people on Twitter. Um, I reached out to Peter Reid, um, who was producing Ellie Harrison at the time, as well as some other really incredible artists and is now um, heading up Compass Festival with Annie Lloyd. I reached out to him and I said, I'm trying to work out what this producing thing is, can we have a coffee? And he was very, very generous with me. Um, and we ended up producing a couple of things together. He also introduced me to a couple of people like Ellie, which was really helpful. And actually, you know, once you've met one or two people and you, you're showing yourself up, you, you, you're showing up at the events, um, it tends to fall into place that you then meet other people. I also recognise that relies very much on you being able to go to lots of different events and um, th there, are, there are issues around that approach as well that are not accessible for everybody. Um, but I think reaching out directly to people is really, really valuable. I mean, when I used to do um, 
workshops or talks um, as a producer, people used to always go, how are you booking like these massive tours? Because, you know, chewing the fat, Selena's first national tour, it was 35 dates. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a small tour. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, other artists like Katie Bird was booking tours with Spilt Milk. You were talking like, I mean, Spilt Milk, some of theirs are like 72 dates. Amazing. Um, and people would be like, what are you, how are you doing this? It's like, I'm just ringing people. I'm just reaching out and ringing people. And I think we have a bit of a problem at the moment with doing that especially the, the ringing up stuff there seems to be a lot of like quite deep set anxiety actually around um cold contacting people but I think because in the producing house that I was in I didn't have any other choice I used to spend three quarters of the day ring I had this enormous database of like 250 venues just cold calling asking yeah but yeah. I after a while you get used to the rejection right or you get used to no one picking up it's just okay move on to the next one I mean I you know I was also a bit of like a dog with a bone to be honest with you and I wouldn't accept a rejection <laughs> so I'd ring again you know and and say how's your program coming up I had a look online it looks like you know you haven't got much work looking at this at the moment what do you think and I'd you know really put an effort in actually to yeah. try and build up relationships with these people who I didn't know, but who, um, I'm trying to remember who it was that said this to me, that it was someone that I was working with at the producing house at the time, but they just said, it's just another you on the other end of the phone. You know, like a, a programmer in a venue needs the work and you're giving them that product. So you're not putting them out. You're not ruining their day. They need you to call them because otherwise they can't program their venue. And I did, yeah. that for me was like a total head switch. And I've just taken that in all of the relationship stuff, all of the partnership building, no problem contacting someone I've not met before and saying, what do you think? Do you want to have a conversation? Do you want to talk about this project? Or if there isn't a project, you know, do you, are you interested in building something together? So I was really lucky actually in, in that sense that someone basically just gave me permission so I think it's really important that other people are given that permission too because the it can be massively intimidating definitely you you've you've worked with uh, freelancers which we've covered but you've also worked with kind of large organizations um how talk to me about uh, moving on from jobs that you love and moving forwards um and transitioning and changing focus and and changing disciplines as well like when when do you make the decision to move on from a, a job that or an artist which you love working with like when do you when is that sweet spot i think um well, well i've done it twice now i guess you could say um the reality of it is, is that when I made the move to kind of um, go into East Street, um, that was part of a moment where I was working through the fact that I felt like I wasn't doing enough new stuff. Um, I'd kind of built this bit of a reputation as the person to go to, particularly relating to touring which I didn't find as fulfilling or exciting anymore. Um, and 
I think I was also quite aware that I was quite sick of theatre, to be totally honest. I was a bit, I was a bit sick of it. I'd, I'd kind of seen the really nepotistic side of it for a long time and, and struggled to grapple with that a little bit. And I thought, I just need to take a bit of a break from, from this. Because <laughs> um, I could see that I was also part of it then as well. And I just thought, gosh, um, I'm sick of going to these opening nights seeing the same people and all that stuff. So I just thought I'm going to take a bit of a step back. And um, I mean, also to be very, very honest at the time, I was also grappling with a lot of stuff personally and lots of shifts and change in my personal life. I think the two come so hand in hand, don't they? So I just needed to, to take a break. I was really lucky with, with what happened with East Street. You know, Karen was effectively like, mine and Selena's steering group for like four years you know that and she'd helped us so much in so many different ways and like like I said you know that came from me saying I, I want to become a trustee for East Street what do you need how do I do that and conversations through there I mean it was absolutely nauseating that first six months in the job at East Street because I didn't have a clue what I was doing to be totally honest. And also everybody's reference points were completely different. <laughs> like, you know, the visual arts, it's a whole other industry. So I was also like, oh God, I know I'm still working in art and culture, but I actually feel like I've totally shifted industries. Yeah. Um, and everyone's reference points were completely different. And actually I also saw that, and I got to understand the like wider visual arts network I actually then really began to see oh there are some really really great things about performing arts and um, that could be applied here and also vice versa um, and what I loved about East Street is that it you know they describe anybody as an artist you can be a scientist and they'll call you an artist and um, and it's really interdisciplinary so even though it's kind of grounded in the visual arts, it's expanded and it's evolved beyond that. And I'm really interested in that. I'm less interested in form. And um, obviously there's specialisms that come with that that I don't disregard at all. Um, but I'm less interested in form and more interested in craft actually. Like I think that, you know, one of the projects I've been working on at East Street is a, a, um, a performance artist who's learning how to make pots. And his approach to it and his view to working with clay is completely different to let's say like a ceramicist might be but there's value in it and it's um it's an interesting approach he sees the kind of process as a performance you know which brings a different level to that craft and the skill of pottery or ceramics interesting so i'm i'm really interested in that i'm really interested in what happens when you kind of um let people go beyond the framework that they've perhaps trained in. Um, I'm not interested in like um, formal training routes necessarily. And what East Street also opened my eyes up to as well was like alternative education, which is something I wanna learn more about and I wanna be part of more. But in terms of like making that switch, um, yeah, absolutely nauseating and really, really, really scary. There's no, there's absolutely no doubt about it. I love the honesty that's what this is about <laughs> <laughs> um could you talk to me about a favorite failure you've had it's kind of 
yeah and that, when we're on the subject of being honest have you got a, have you got a favorite failure or have you got like something that's gone horribly wrong that you look back on and go yeah that actually taught me a lot or like I'm never gonna do that again yeah big time big like loads but I think one of the most um impactful ones I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think like um, there was a period of time where I wasn't um, very confident in walking away from stuff. Like um, there was a project that was going terribly wrong with the partner. Like the relationship was not good. It was toxic and um, I sh- should have walked away from it actually you, do you know what I mean like the, the, sometimes I think that I, lo- I look back at that so much and I think gosh it would have saved us so much um heartache if if we just looked at how we were how the how that relationship was working um or, a venue or a funder or a venue it's mm. a venue um it's a venue it's a big project it's a big deal actually biggest commission that I've ever had and um and what were the types of red flags like just to give a a flavor just like um really basic stuff like the contracting process was a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare to agree a contract and it took six months and I was like, this is, this is like, why can't we do this? I don't understand what's going on. And then just like feeling not trusted, actually. And um, some of the questions that were being asked felt like they had a hidden agenda. And um, we weren't, or I definitely wasn't confident enough to say, feels like there's a hidden agenda here. Can we have a frank conversation about what you might be worried about? Which is what I would do now and I have done since. Um, I don't like um gray areas and so one of the like massive things I learned from that experience was don't let there be any gray if there's even if it feels like even if your stomach's cramping as you're about to ask the question like ask the question but ask it in a in a way that is about seeking some kind of positive resolution to the issue you know I try really hard not to um make any assumptions about the other people that I'm working with. And rather than go, they've said this or asked me that because they think X. Um, I now go, what are you thinking? So that I know where we're at right now. How's this going? How's this working for you? How's this relationship working for you? And I've applied that since being at East Street because that was the first time I'd had the experience actually being on the other side. And kind of going, oh, actually, some of these questions that perhaps I previously found, um, even to some point offensive, actually, sometimes some of the questions that get asked, be like, why are you asking? Like, of course, why are you asking that? Um, but I now understand a bit more that actually, when you're not like directly in it, you can't see some of that. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is that I probably... It might drive some people nuts, um, but I probably do over-communicate now in those setups. And um, 
to be doubly clear about what you're both talking about, right? So. Yeah, and I ask for clarification. Mm. If I don't understand something, I, I, I'll ask for clarification. Even if it's later on, even if it's like 10 or 14 days later, if something's playing on my mind and I, and, I, and I need to understand what was meant by it, I will ask for it. But I think that... Um, the outcome, the outcome of the kind of particularly awful situation I was in was that the project never opened. Mm. And we got right to the line. It was like days before it was due to wow. open and it never did because we never sorted out the relationship. And I didn't have the confidence to walk away. I thought that I needed them. You know, do you know what I mean? I thought I really thought yeah. that I needed them in hindsight. Actually, it would have been all right. We ended up with the same outcome anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been better, you know. Yeah. Might have might have presented a different path. Um, but I think it's what you're talking about here is that um, the product of the art isn't necessarily the most important thing. The equal to it, if not more, is the relationship and the experience of the artists and the people working on the show is equally as important as the final product. Yeah, and also like not assuming that the people I'm working with, you know, if I, I'll probably go back to freelance producing again. Like I've never ruled that out. I'm, I'm, I do love it. Um, and I think that, you know, something that I'll definitely take into that, If I, it's almost like starting over again, actually, when I think about it. But something I would definitely take into that is not to also think that the person in the venue is an expert, like, and, and knows either. You know, like something that I'm really aware of is that you know, there's a whole chain that happens. You know, I might be talking to the producer and asking them a question in, in a theatre, but they're going to go then talk to the exec producer and that exec producer is going to go talk to the di exec director. And th there's a whole chain, you know. So I think I, I have more, I probably have more empathy. They're just now. another you. Well, this is it, you know. <laughs> I think that it's something that I've learned the really, a really hard way. I, I probably approach those relationships now with a little bit more kindness or forgiveness. Um, and But also at the same time, I have a better sense now of the kind of um, how to level off that power dynamic a bit more and how to kind of speak in a way that means I don't feel like the lesser party. I think a lot of what we went through um, in, in some of the fallouts from Leeds International Festival and that open letter kind of really demonstrated to me that actually, you know, there is a way to galvanize support um, and there is a role actually that organizations need to play in that too. I don't know if um, it wasn't Karen and John as, the directors of East Street as two artists. Um, I don't know how confident actually we would have been signing that letter. Interesting. So I think that also to me says more about kind of artists in those positions and how important that is as well. Um, and I'm interested to see what that balance could be. Um, there's loads of really incredible artist led organizations and companies that I think are doing they're approaching stuff differently. Um, and it'll be interesting now, I guess that I'm going into Leeds 2023 and working with a whole new team of leaders um, 
for me to see how what their approach is and learn from that too it's, mm. it's a new environment for me so I don't know right now how 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 that's going to feel um but I'm really I tell you what I'm really excited to be producing again yeah I'm excited for you as well it's, it's great. <laughs> um okay so one one final question what is the best or most worthwhile investment you've made and it could be money it could be time it could be energy but like what's what's the most worth worthwhile investment you think you've made probably when i'm mentoring people um because even though it seems like um, I ran this project called the Producer School a few years ago and um, invested quite a lot into that, to be totally honest, um, because I really wanted to see what would like a producer development programme look like if it was actually run by independent producers rather than venues, because all the ones that I'd seen or had access to would be run by venues. Um, and I got so much out of that. I got to bring together like eight really wonderful producers. Um, I also got to meet loads of other producers who I didn't know yet as well. Um, and we effectively spent like a year together doing like self-led development and bringing in artists as the facilitators of the workshops as well. Like that was one of the rules for the program or the workshops was that it was artists doing the talks and um, that never happened in the venue ones um which I was always like this is so weird like why you know we have to work with artists every day what what what's going on here um and I just think I learned so much through that about kind of um trusting people to know what they what their needs are if you give them some space and I think I apply that to the way that I work with artists as well and this whole thing about like not making too many assumptions um, and tr and not trying to have a blanket approach mm. um for me is like a really um valuable thing and I think that that came from investing into that and every time I mentor someone I learn so much from them as well especially um people who have recently started being a producer too because there's a whole range of stuff that I don't not part of in terms of networks or points of view and approaches um and I find yeah I always find that quite exciting that's great well thank you so much for coming on the podcast um thanks for your honesty oh my first ever podcast so there we go oh you're first I can't believe that that's, that's great amazing <laughs> um no thank you for your honesty and um all the best with Leeds 2023 that's amazing news yeah wish me luck big deep breaths <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs>